A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash pro revenge video. The real pros already went ahead and hit the like and subscribe buttons down below. You still got a chance to be one. That said, our first story of the day is by Lead Effect. Cashier Petty Revenge Reading some of y'all's stories made me think of my college cashier job at a liquor store. I worked there for a year and started noticing boomer-aged customers kept paying with cash and coins. Except they wouldn't hand it to me, they'd throw it on the counter and the coins would literally scatter. So what I started doing was slowly looking down with my hand outstretched and give the coins a two-second stare. Then I'd take my index finger and touch one coin. I'd slowly slide it off the counter into my other palm. Then the next one and the next one. I swear they'd start fidgeting with impatience. Once they were all in my hand, I'd start counting. Probably wasted a good 30 seconds, but to me, it was pure joy. Then I'd slowly get their change. They'd stick their hand out to accept the change, and I would make an exaggerated motion towards their hand, swerve, and toss it on the counter. In that situation, if you have somebody that's just a total jerk and just tosses their money on the counter, the coins go bouncing around all over the place, would you return the favor to them and give them their change back by tossing it on the counter? Or would you be kind of afraid of their reaction and the ensuing fallout? Having to deal with some Karen freak out, get me your manager, maybe just rambling on and on? Would you return the favor or would you just try to get them to leave as quickly as possible? Let me know in the comments down below. Our next story is by Lee Mache, blocking a field of view. I once received a vehicular infringement notice for allegedly exceeding the posted speed by 4 kilometers in a 110 kilometer an hour zone. That's 2.48 miles an hour over and a 68 miles per hour zone for the metrically challenged. 4 freaking kilometers, 1 meter a second, while I'm traveling at 30 meters a second. My cruise control and my GPS and my speedo and the speed check camera several kilometers earlier down the road disagreed with the camera and I appealed. I was not successful. Some months later, I realized that a mobile van parks up on the road a few doors down the road. You know it's a speed van. The cameras pointed out the rear window, give it away. There's only certain spots that they're legislatively allowed to park up. Often it's also at similar times. Now, every time I see it, I move the big, fat, wide work vehicle and go park right up against the back. They have space to move forward and exit the spot, but it totally ruins the camera POV. Imagine having multiple forms of proof that you did not speed in that zone and them going, nah, we got one that says you did, therefore you lose. Especially considering the one is like a man-operated camera versus instruments that are actually installed and just actually measure it on their own. It'd make you want to park up behind these people and save everybody else to get screwed over too. This next story is by Coxon. My mom kindly gives back her towels to her roommate. Okay, so this was a while ago. Since my mom, 50, was in college, she lived in a house and she had several roommates. One roommate, let's call her Linda, was from Alaska and was an absolute slob. In their house, they rotated chores, and one of the chores was washing the dish towels. Linda always found a way to avoid this. She constantly gave excuses, and all of the roommates let her. My mom was pissed about this. 
At the end of the year, my mom told Linda she had to take care of the towels before she left for the summer. Linda was supposed to come back for the next year. Later, she decided not to. A few hours after my mom told her this, Linda magically disappeared when my mom was looking for her. All she could find was her suitcases she packed. My mom was angry, but she resigned herself to having to clean the towels. After going in the kitchen, my mom could not find the towels. She looked and looked until eventually she found them in the back corner of the cabinet behind the sink in a black garbage bag. There were quite a few towels stuffed in the bag. They were all gross and moldy because every time Linda actually claimed to wash the towels, she stuffed them in the bag and hid them. In an act of revenge against messy Linda, my mom took the towels and put them in Linda's luggage. Later, once Linda got home, she called everyone in their house to see who put the towels in their bag. My mom was on the couch when one of her roommates, who was beside her, was called by Linda. The roommate was known for being honest. After a short discussion with Linda, the roommate said something along the lines of, Hang on, I'll ask OP's mom. My mom knew what they were talking about, so when the roommate looked over to ask her, my mom nodded fiercely. The roommate, upon seeing my mom's response, told Linda that they both had no idea what she was talking about. Does anybody else feel like it's probably more effort to go and throw these towels in some garbage bag and try to hide them than it is to just clean them? Like, yeah, it's a little bit of work, but it's like cleaning towels. Like, it's not even that hard. Linda, you had one job. This next story is by Nuka Grapes. I soaked a kid's backpack in water for my trombone slide today. So there's this guy who sits in front of me in band, and he's been making my life a living heck all year. Not leaving me or my friends alone, being intentionally disruptive as much as possible. It was at one point so bad that I had to get a school administrators involved. I've been scheming a way to get back at him for a while for tormenting me. Today, I finally got to do it. See, my real trombone is in the shop getting repaired, has been for a while, so I've been using the school loaner. Lord knows how many kids have had their spit go through that thing over the years, which made my revenge all the better. I also carry a huge water bottle around with me. You can see where this is going. He gets up to go mess around in the bathroom about the same time every day. So right before he normally leaves to go pretend to go to the bathroom, I fill the trombone up with a good two mouthfuls of water. Unfortunately, he has to stick around for a few minutes longer because the teacher didn't notice him. Unbeknownst to me, the cork that keeps all of the spit in until you release the lever is rotted on this thing. So by the time he actually gets up and gives me my window of opportunity, I've lost about half the water I put in there. But he gets up, walks out, and a few moments later, when nobody's looking, I have my sweet, sweet revenge. I empty out most of the water on his backpack. Man, it was covered. There was a huge wet spot covering it. Lucky for him, the vast majority of it wasn't spit, but was actual water that sat in my mouth for about two seconds. He had no idea I did it either. All he knows is he got mildly inconvenienced by a damp backpack. Does it have much, if any, negative impact on him? Not really, no. But did it make me feel way better? Absolutely. This is definitely one of those revenges where, like... You and only you alone will ever know whatever happened. It won't actually affect their day, they won't ever understand the full scope of what's going on, it won't leave any lasting ramifications, but if it's satisfying enough for you, you'll be able to walk away knowing you got one up on them. This next story is by Jim Skull. 
No reply to group chat? Now it's gone. Just a preface, I know I may have overreacted and gone the dramatic route, but I guess that's why I'm posting here in the first place. I'm in college, and when classes started, I took it upon myself to make the group chats for them. Unfortunately, I did end up dropping two classes that I made chats for. I couldn't leave the group chats without the app wanting to delete the entire thread, so I muted them just to make it easier for everyone. I could still read the chats, and knew I had to retake the class at some point anyways, so I dropped a message in one thread with a polite mini-paragraph on why I was still in the chat, couldn't leave without deleting, and if they could give me their input on the professor and how they liked his teaching, I couldn't find him on Rate Your Professor. No reply. Irked me a bit, but I figured people are busy, let me wait. I finally see a reply, but it's not to me. And they actually completely ignored me and continued their conversation as if I was not there at all. So, I ended the chat, essentially deleting the entire group thread. I know it's dramatic, but I've been ignored so much in my life, and it took so much for me to pipe up in the first place. Now it's gone, and I'm not sure if they'll realize what happened or how they'll make a new one, but I'm not in the class, so not my problem. Oh well. Definitely a very petty thing to do, but honestly, like, if you put yourself in that group scenario, and you put yourself out there, and you're like, Hey guys, is the professor good? Do you guys enjoy the class? You sit there, you wait for a reply, and then they just start talking around you? It's definitely a big, okay, well screw you guys then, kinda moment. And our final story of the day is by Eggnards. I guess it's my business now. A tale in five acts. Act 1. Do what you love. As an aimless teenager, I started working for a small business owned by Steve. It turns out I really enjoyed what I did, so slowly over time, my life plan shifted to make sure I could continue to work for Steve for the long term. This included transferring to a local college, and because the business was predominantly run on part-time hours, making sure that any other jobs I had never conflicted with the hours I was expected to work for Steve. Steve was flawed, but overall a good boss who mostly looked out for me. I certainly think over the years he had taken advantage of me in small ways, but looking back I really have no complaints. The thing is that while I started working for Steve, the business name recognition was always directed towards Steve. Over the years it eventually became, go to OP, he's the best. This got to the point where I do indeed truly believe that if I did not end up working for Steve, it's very likely his business would have been nowhere near as successful as it eventually became. As years went on, it was heavily implied that when Steve retired, the business would go to me. It was never specifically stated, but Steve did have a way about skirting around those types of issues and giving me hope. Act 2. Enter Kyle. About three years before COVID, Steve decided to retire and sell his business. He did indeed fulfill his promise by making a half-hearted attempt to sell it to me at an unreasonable price, but it was very clear he already had another buyer in mind, Kyle. Kyle owned another local business just outside of our market area in the same industry. Because of the way the industry worked, there wasn't really much, if any, overlap in potential customers, but Kyle had a very large amount of money and was willing to buy. What's important to note here is that again, I do truly believe that if I didn't play ball and agree to work for Kyle, my role was so integral to operation in our business that there was no possible way a sale could go through. Over the course of negotiations, Kyle ended up buying the business and putting me in charge of running the day-to-day, something I was mostly already doing, but with a few more administrative tasks tacked onto it. 
The thing is, my name was still the name in town, and Kyle made zero effort to ever be on location, so nobody that did business with us ever really knew who Kyle was. Act 3, Kyle's kind of a jerk, and how I learned to stand up for myself. All was well for a while. Kyle would openly talk about me being the head honcho at my location and mostly left me alone to deal with my clients and the professional and personable nature that I'd learned from Steve. Things first came to a head a year before COVID when Kyle sent me to an industry conference for four days. I would need to take time off for my other job, which I was fine with. At the conclusion of the conference, I put in an hours request for the hours I spent at the conference and I was super nice about it. Actually, I should have clocked all the hours at the convention each day, but instead did not account for hours for seminars that would help my boss, but were ones I had wanted to attend. The request was denied, and I was told, Industry conferences are enriching activities. We pay for your admission, but they're on your own time. This took two weeks to resolve, but ended with me essentially saying, Look, I'll still work for you because I love what I do. However, if I don't get paid, I will never go to another one of these conferences again to get new ideas for you. I was immediately paid. I'll spare similar smaller stories of that nature, but that slowly started to become the relationship between Kyle and I. Act 4. COVID hits. When COVID hit, our locations were shut down, and for three weeks we weren't able to do anything. Meanwhile, our clients were still paying for services. And because Kyle had recently moved to a new client payment portal that I hadn't been trained on yet, I wasn't able to help any clients get their money back. At one point, I messaged Kyle about going virtual and being able to still assist clients, and got a very angry text back, full of curses, that essentially said, Look, you're not the boss, go freak yourself. You had your chance to be the owner and turned it down, I'm in charge. We did eventually go virtual about a week later, The big problem, of course, being that I would receive daily texts, emails, calls from clients about their memberships and bills, and there was nothing I could do to help them. It was at this point that I knew crap was hitting the fan, and I needed to start doing something. So, over the course of the next two months, I did a couple things. Spent an inordinate amount of time studying the best business structures, communicated with all of the other staff at my location about my intentions, continued to give 110% to my clients in a virtual capacity, built a website and social media presence from the ground up. I don't think Kyle was expecting any of this, and he probably didn't also realize that because I often had to do back-end stuff from home, I also had what was, essentially, a little black book of every client, their email addresses, and phone numbers. Act 5. Surgical Strikes When everything was ready, I waited very patiently at the end of a service month. As I mentioned, all our clients had monthly costs, and I didn't want to put anyone out of any part of their costs. On the last weekday of the month, I instructed the staff who would be helping clients that day to tell them to check their emails at the end of the day. At the end of the day, I sent out an email to all active and some non-active clients, as well as a texting service to text everybody. I launched our social media accounts, our website, and then even enlisted a very small amount of trusted clients to spread the word via social media once I gave them the signal. Within 15 minutes of everything, my phone was ringing off the hook. I had 50 plus emails in my inbox from different people, and my Facebook accounts were completely blowing up with local chatter. I also heard from many of these people that they were calling Kyle to cancel their service. 
We hosted a Zoom meeting for all the concerned parties and essentially decided to take the weekend to clear up any confusion with the systems and start fresh and open our doors on Monday. Within an hour of everything, Kyle sent out a text blast to every client that they would be shutting their doors effective immediately. At the start of COVID, we had roughly 50 active clients at the business. On my first day of business, I had 75 signed up active clients, mainly inactive ones telling me, yeah, we stopped doing business with you guys because Kyle was kind of a jerk. What's really important to keep in mind here is that I never wanted to, nor cared to be, a business owner. I was very happy working for somebody else as long as I wasn't treated like crap. Had Kyle treated me even remotely better, the location would have continued to thrive and be a staple in our local community. Kyle chose to be a jerk to try to get quick money and cheat people, and Kyle lost out. We've been in business now almost two years, have nearly tripled Kyle's active numbers, and continue to be a staple in our community. As long as you ain't got one of those god-awful non-compete clauses in your contract or anything, this is the way to do it. If you know you got what it takes, go start your own company up, get those clients to move over to you, and beat the jerks down into the dirt. This is one of those stories where you can't help but just say, way to go. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories.